0: Every day, you know, read a, a whole psalm or a portion of a psalm and, and make it your own. And so our, our scripture today comes from Psalms 10 and 18 and 121. I told Chris I'd read all the psalms from 10 to 121. That would take a really long time. So, Selected verses, yes. Okay, so uh, listen to the word of the Lord. But you, Lord, do see. Indeed, you note trouble and grief, that you may take it into your hands, the helpless commit themselves to you. O Lord, you will hear the desire of the meek, you will strengthen their heart, you will incline your ear to do justice for the orphan and the oppressed, so that those from earth may may strike terror no more. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. He reached down from on high. He took me. He drew me out of mighty waters. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will come my help? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. The word
1: of the Lord. Well, this is the second week in a series that we're doing called platitudes we're looking at popular phrases that sometimes make their way into the church and um, they're they're often intended to be helpful um, but they're also problematic a platitude is an obvious meaningless or trite statement um, especially one presented as if it's fresh and significant um, upon examination we see that these platitudes are problematic in terms of our understanding of how how God works in our lives and in the world. Um, Last week we looked at the phrase, everything happens for a reason. And we sort of tore that phrase apart last week. And um, this week we're looking at another one of these phrases. Let's go ahead and say it together. God helps those who help themselves. Raise your hand if you've heard this before. Yeah, we've all heard this before, right? Some of you may remember the uh, former late-night talk show host Jay Leno. Um, Jay Leno retired in 2014 and was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame. He was known for going around um, New York City, which were what was called his Jaywalks, with a with a microphone and a cr- camera crew, and and would ask random people a particular question. Well. One night, about nine years ago or so, he was doing just exactly that, and one of the question, the question that he was asking strangers on the streets of Manhattan was, can you name one of the Ten Commandments? And over and over and over again, the most common response that he got was, sure, God helps those who help themselves, which of course is not one of the Ten Commandments. The Christian Research Institute, Barna, did a study about um, biblical literacy in the United States of America, also about um, uh, six or seven, maybe ten years ago. And what they did was they uh, sent this out to over a thousand people, and they listed a few um, possible Bible verses, so some verses from the Bible Some verses not from the Bible and they were supposed to, the responders were supposed to say which ones of these are actually in the Bible. And according to the survey over 81% of Americans claimed that God helps those who help themselves is in the Bible. Um, And of course, it's not in the Bible. It's not even part of Christian teaching really in any way. In fact, the phrase, God helps those who help themselves, originated about in the 5th century B.C. in Greek mythology. Here's a little, um, this is from the 1st century B.C., um, a little fable from Greek mythology. It goes like this, when the gods saw the wagoner kneel, uh, uh, crying, Hercules, lift me my wheel from the mud where it, where it stuck, where it's stuck. He laughed, no such luck, ha ha ha, set your shoulder yourself to the wheel, the gods help those who help themselves. So it came out of Greek mythology, and then it kind of got passed down and trickled through the centuries. Uh, one of Aesop's fables has, an, um, has a reference to God helps those who help themselves. But it really actually wasn't popularized until the 18th century when Ben Franklin had this exact phrase in his Poor Richard's Almanac in 1730. Six. God helps those who help themselves. And from that time on, it's become popular, very popular, such that many people think that it's actually a part of the church's teaching or in the Bible. And so we're looking at this phrase today, and we're asking whether or not it's true. I've already mentioned it's not in the Bible. Now the question is, is it true? And I want to suggest that in one sense, this phrase does contain an element of truth um, and support is supported by biblical teaching. And in two very real senses, it's actually antithetical and completely opposite to what the Bible teaches. So let's look at these briefly. Let's first look at what is the element of truth in this phrase, God helps those who help themselves. When I'm working here during the week um, and lunchtime comes, I don't pray that God would miraculously drop food onto the desk in front of me. When it's lunchtime, I I don't pray, God, may there be a pizza or a burrito hot and ready for me in the kitchen. Um, No, in fact, when I wake up in the morning and I say, Lord, help me to live for you today, I'm also reminded that I need to pack myself a lunch. Um, and so when the time comes then for me to eat my lunch, I pray. Um, I pray thanks for God's provision for providing this food for me, for providing me the ability to work and to serve such a wonderful place. I pray for um, the workers out in the fields who, and the truck drivers who bring the crops to the grocery store, the grocery store um, uh, workers who stock the shelves and the clerk at the front, all of these things. And in the ultimate sense... It all comes from God, but it doesn't just miraculously show up on my plate. I've got to work, right? And I've got to acknowledge and give thanks for the community of laborers. I've known people who have needed to get a job and prayed to get a job, but never filled out a resume or applied for a job. That's just practically speaking a good way to stay unemployed. Uh, We know that. You don't think I wanna be a professional football player in the NFL and decide that you're gonna skip leg day every Wednesday. Um, No, you realize you have to work. I think about a couple also who uh, several years ago wanted to sell their home, not from this church. And they prayed that God would bring just the right buyer. They filled out prayer request cards that God would bring them just the right buyer and they would sell their home. But days and weeks went on, and no buyer was coming. They were getting disappointed with God. Why is God not bringing this buyer to sell the home? Well, sure enough, the realtor all along, their realtor had been advising them that they were asking too much money for the home. But they said, no, this is what we feel it's worth, and we know that if we just pray, then God will bring us the right buyer. Well, that didn't happen, so eventually they lowered the house by 11, the price by 11,000 dollars, and two days later it was under contract. So God answered their prayer, right? Through the wisdom of their realtor and the advice and, and all of that. Um, God is not going to drop food on our table. Force someone to hire you for a job uh, when there's someone more qualified. Nor is God going to make someone pay more for your home than it's worth. And so we pray and we work. The Apostle Paul was preaching uh, in around the Aegean Sea area in a little town called Thessaloniki. And he trusted this, he taught this new community to trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then he taught them that Jesus was going to return at any moment, like in their lifetime. And they believed that the world was going to end and everything was going to be different in their lifetime, that Jesus was going to return. And because of this, what happened in the town, of Thessaloniki in this little church is that people decided that they didn't want to work anymore. Um, They thought well Jesus is going to return so what's the point of working? Um, Maybe we should just stay around sit around and pray all the time and just be super spiritually prepared for Jesus coming back. You know making tables is going to be useless um, before we know it. Well Paul found out about this. He heard about this and um, in a letter he wrote to them he wrote this for even when we were with you We gave you this command, anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. So it's clear that Paul is not teaching people that you just pray and God will sort of just take care of everything. He's saying you pray and work. There's a famous um, phrase in Latin that the Benedictines coined and has guided them um, throughout the centuries and it is this ora et labora, pray and work. And these two things feed into one another. When we commit ourselves in prayer um, we realize that, uh, that, that we have been gifted and that there are needs in the world and Through prayer, then, we're inspired to go out and work for a better world. But as we find ourselves working in a broken world and navigating the evils and the corruptions and the things that we experience in the real world, well, that'll send you right back to your knees in prayer, which then God picks us up, lifts us up, and sends us back out. And so they feed into each other, ora et labora, pray and work. I think about, um, this is 9-11, I think about the firefighters and the uh, search and rescue teams who showed up at ground zero to help uh, rescue humans who were living uh, from the rubble. Those who were Christians, they didn't just simply Show up at Ground zero and pray god, I, I ask that you 'll just uh, lift all these rocks up, and the people will ascend and emerge no they, they went into the rubble, and those who Christ, those who were Christians, I assume prayed that God would maybe guide them along the way, but it was a great risk um, and great danger for many of these people going in the name of Jesus Christ to rescue these, these folks. I think about um, those who fought for civil rights. Uh, they didn't simply pray in, in church. Specifically, I'm thinking about Dr. King's movement. They prayed and then they marched, knowing that they were likely to be beaten and arrested and yet that God would somehow see them through, prayer and work, aura et labora. Uh, so you pray, you don't just sit back, God will fix everything, you've got to work. And I think in that sense that there is an element of truth to this phrase. God helps those who help themselves. Um, certain, certainly God has given us capacity to help ourselves. And God is counting us to use what we have in order to To do that. But there are two ways in which this phrase is fundamentally wrong. So let's look at those for a moment. The first thing I want to say is that there are certain times and there are certain situations when people are in such a hole they can't get out of it. They would love to be able to help themselves, and they've done everything they could to help themselves, and they're at the end of their rope, and they simply can't. People find themselves in poverty or in financial situations or mentally and psychologically. I think about um, the, the children and the young uh, adults who are being cared for by Tonya and uh, holding out help. At the end of their rope, um, psychologically unable to help themselves. Um, and God recognizes this and has compassion. The scripture is very clear about this. I think about a dear friend of mine um, who is a member of our church, uh, my former church in south of Seattle. Um, she, her name is Ray Lynn, wonderful, joy-filled person. She lived in the apartments next door to the church in a Section 8 um, apartment, government assistance. And uh, she was an usher at our church and and, uh, every Sunday morning she would greet uh, the worshipers coming in um, with great joy. She she wasn't um, put off by the fact that she was one of maybe two black people in our congregation. Um, It didn't bother her one bit. Her husband, Daryl, had been struggling for a long, long time. Um, his story is very complicated, and so with physical and psychological um, trauma in his past, he was unable to take care of himself, physically or psychologically. And so Ray Lynn worked four jobs to support herself and her husband, and and her and to help two of her grown daughters. Um, she would take the bus. Uh, 45 minutes, uh, the public bus, to go to a Seattle School District to do meal prep in the mornings. She worked as a ticket agent at what was then Century League Field, now Lumen Field, uh, where the Seahawks play. She worked at, in the deli section of her local grocery store, and she had a seasonal job that I can't remember. Um, all of this... Uh, was her way of working and praying. I prayed with her a lot. Um, Her husband, Daryl, was on the prayer list a lot. And uh, at one point, she got an eviction notice because the owner of her apartment complex decided that they were going to get rid of all the Section 8 housing. Uh, in, and there was just a few of those. And and we got rallied a couple people from the church, and we tried to advocate. We went over next door, talked to the landlord. He just kind of said, this is out of my hands. So I wrote a letter to the, I found out who the owner of the property was, happened to be a slumlord millionaire in San Francisco who had no interest um, in Ray Lynn's cause. But we tried. Um, eventually, she found another place. She had to get evicted. She had to uh, move several miles um, up the road into a little barrio of of an apartment complex, a smaller place that had a Section 8 um, assistance available for her. She had to get new bus routes all the way around her to get her whole life back uh, in order, even to to get to church. Um, And and for us as a community, this was just what it means to be a church family. We help one another out. Um, And there are so many people in our world who find themselves in situations like this. It's not that they shouldn't do what they can to take care of themselves. Of course that's the truth if God helps those who help themselves. But sometimes you find yourself in a pit and you don't know how to get out of it. And this is where in scripture we find God's concern for the poor. Take a look at some of these passages. This is an essential passage that's from the Levitical law. It really shows God's heart. When you reap the harvest of your land, and by the way this will be familiar for those of you who are here for our Ruth series, you shall not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the alien. I am the Lord your God. In other words, in God's economy uh, we're not about maximizing our profits. Um, we need to take care of those who need help. James writes these words. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To come to church every week, to pray five times a day, and to read your Bible ten... Oh, that's not what it says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to take care of the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. In both the parable of the Good Samaritan and in the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus makes it very clear that on the last day we will be judged based upon whether our faith moved us with compassion to care for those who could not help themselves. Proverbs captures both of these ideas. This importance, the need to work, as well as the need to care for those who cannot. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. I think in this way, he's the, uh, the author is just describing how the world works. But whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice And those who are generous are blessed, for they share their bread with the poor. So in these passages, we find that God does help those who cannot help themselves. And how does God do that? Through the people who love him. Through the people whom he has touched their hearts and given them hearts of compassion through the church. That's what it's meant to be. Um, and that's, that's what our local and global mission um, partners are all about in their work. So we can debate the best ways to try to create help and not hurt. We can debate the best ways to try to create independence and not dependence, and we should debate those things. But anybody who says that they love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and does not have a heart of compassion for those who are unable to care for themselves are missing an essential component of the gospel and something that is really at the heart of God. Now there's one other way in which thankfully God does help those who cannot help themselves. And I say thankfully because this is all of our experience. Consistently in the Bible, God rescues um, and saves those who have made a mess of their own lives. Human beings can't save themselves. And so God is the God of the hopeless cause. He's the God who loves sinners when we cannot confer forgiveness upon ourselves. He's the God who walks with us through the darkest valleys and the God who brings light into our darkness and peace into our times of anxiety and despair. God rescues, redeems, forgives, comforts. And so there, in these particular cases in our lives when we're feeling anxious and, and we experience the comfort um, or the peace of Christ or we're feeling grief and we experience hope in the midst of grief, um, these, these things we recognize that God actually does help us when we cannot help ourselves. And this help is extended to us even though we don't earn it and we don't deserve it. And of course the word that we um, have for this is the word grace. Um, It is help, God's help for those who can't help themselves. It means receiving God's blessing when we don't deserve it. There are two kinds of help that we need. We need physical help and we need emotional help. You might remember from your high school psychology class, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Every human being has these needs. And um, at the bottom of this hierarchy are there basic needs that are physical, our need for food, for clothing, for shelter, for for warmth. And as you go up this hierarchy, um, we start to see that we also have emotional, spiritual needs um, as well. And those are the needs of for love, for hope, for peace, for comfort, for inner strength, fortitude, for forgiveness, for meaning, for purpose. Our faith in God and God's work by the Spirit um, offers us help. And so, with regard to our physical needs, oftentimes God primarily uses the community. Um, and uh, you know, I am my brother's keeper, and. Uh, And God uses us to help one another physically. Spiritually speaking for the higher needs God often works through people, the church um, to provide these kinds of comforts but God also sends his spirit to intervene directly in our lives in these ways when we trust him. Um, And again we find that this help is given to those who cannot always help themselves. So I think of the words of the psalmist. In my distress, the psalmist said, I cried upon the Lord. Uh, To my God, I cried for help from his temple. He heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. He reached down from on high. He took me, he drew me out of mighty waters. Now the psalmist isn't speaking literally. He's not saying, well, he literally drew me out of these waters because I was drowning. He's talking about his inner experience. He was distressed. He was feeling Uh, at the end of his rope, and God lifted him up um, and gave him hope. How about these words from Paul to the church in Philippi? Um, Easier said than done, but true nonetheless. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we come before God in prayer and we offer God our lives and we offer God our fears and, and our worries and our concerns and our regrets and sincerely do that, the peace of God can be given to us as a gift in those moments. God helps those who cannot help themselves. Finally, I'm reminded of these words from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills From where will my help come? We think about uh, the violence, the the national um, threat that Israel was experiencing. I lift my eyes to the hills, um, and I can see the enemy lines. Nations are coming to conquer our city. Where is my help coming from? From my own military strength? From my own might? No, my help comes from the Lord. The Lord is the one who made heaven and earth. So there are times we can help ourselves and in those times we should. God is counting on us to do so. We pray and we work, that's how life works. But there are other times that we find in life when we can't help ourselves and we find that other people are in situations when they can't help themselves and that is then when we are called to step in and be the answer to their prayers. Um, to provide the kind of help that God wants to give them through us. And then um, we recognize that we can't save ourselves. We can't try hard enough to fix our situation, our regrets in life, our guilt. That help um, comes from Jesus Christ, our Savior. Uh, Thanks be to God that God does indeed help those who can't help themselves. And that includes you, and that includes me. And despite the fact that we have made a mess of things, God reaches out his hands, he picks us up, washes us clean, and says, I love you. I will never abandon you. And together, we can work for a better world. This is what grace is all about. Gracious God, thank you for saving us, Thank you for giving us the capacity to work and even though our work in a fallen world is fallen work, we find great purpose in knowing that, uh, that you've made us for, uh, for good work in the world. We also recognize that people find themselves and sometimes we ourselves find ourselves in situations where we, we can't just pick up ourselves by our bootstraps. We need the help of others. And in this way, we thank you for ministries like Holding Out Help and others that, that do just exactly this work. Help us to be part of that solution. And may all of this come from our, our deep place of gratitude for the grace that you've given to us in Jesus Christ, that we've been forgiven and set free to love and to serve. In Christ's name, amen.